0: The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. This morning comes to us from Acts chapter 10, verses 1 to 23. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him, and having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, "Behold." Three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I'm the one you're looking for. What's the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house And to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in to be his guests. God, we thank you for your word. I remember it was probably, um, I don't know, seven years ago. It's been a while. I was riding up to a youth event in my motorcycle and Whitney Fralick who didn't recognize me with all my gear on my helmet and my protective gear she didn't recognize me and she looked at me inwardly perplexed as I took my helmet off and she was almost speechless for a second she, she finally found words to say and she, she asked me a question she's like you ride a motorcycle? And I nodded. And the next words that came out of her mouth revealed a preconceived notion that she had formed about me. She said, confused, you ride a motorcycle, but but you play the piano. (laughs) And in her experience and her formula of people and activities... The people who play the piano, maybe the softer, more artistic types, fall into a completely different category as those who ride motorcycles, the harder, maybe more rugged types. And in her mind, the two could not be married together. This is what's called a prejudice. It's a preconceived idea or opinion that's not based on actual experience. And we all have them whether we realize them or not, we have prejudices galore. And they come in all kinds of different categories. The first might be gender prejudices. Women cannot lead a multi-billion dollar business. Men cannot learn how to put the toilet seat down. Transgenders are just needy for attention or can't make up their mind. Gender preferences and prejudices. Generational prejudices go on. Millennials, oh, millennials, they cannot keep a job for more than three months. Boomers, boomers aren't able to keep up with the advances of technology or pop culture. And the most deep-seated prejudice known to man, geographic prejudices. When I name a race, you will put that race into a specific prejudice or preconceived place. And the interesting thing is the further these races are from looking and behaving like you, the further the place you will keep them from you. That's our sinful state. Just just take a moment for me as an example to name some of these races and see if in your heart You have a prejudiced place. Okay? Mexicans. Germans. Chinese. Pakistani. Russian. Ethiopian. The Apostle Peter along with the majority of his Jewish people, had a deep-seated prejudice. And as I studied this passage, I didn't realize how deep Peter's prejudice really was. For who, or for rather, against who was his prejudice? Anyone who wasn't a Jew. Gentile. Anyone who wasn't a Jew. Goyen was the word Jewish people would use as a derogatory statement against anyone who was Jew- wasn't Jewish. And it meant, Goyen meant the nations. In our day, it might be akin to the derogatory word nigger. Goyen. Jews were not allowed a Goyan into their homes, nor dare step foot into a Goyan's home. Jewish women were not allowed to help a Gentile mother in childbirth for fear they would multiply these Gentiles and the scum of the earth would grow. But this deep-seated prejudice, thankfully, is being chipped away in Peter. He's been staying with this Simon, a tanner, And a tanner is a trade in which animal carcasses are processed. It's not a tanning salon. It's where animal carcasses are being processed and their skins are used to make leather goods. And the Lord had designated dead animals as unclean to touch. And if you touched a dead animal or were even in the vicinity of a place that touched dead animals, you became unclean too. All of these unclean, clean designations were the Lord to say, for the Lord to say, this is my holy people, this is not my holy people. And he had designated Jews as the clean ones and the Gentiles as the unclean ones. And clean and unclean was a mark between those who could approach a holy God safely and those who could not. But unfortunately, it had become much more than that. Clean had become a right that was deserved for the Jews. We are the elect. We are the chosen people, the chosen race of God. And unclean was for those who were undeserved, everyone else, the Jew. And Peter's chipping away of personal prejudice in Acts 10 must become our chipping away as well. Friends, because Jesus Christ did not come to clean one type of person or one people. He came to cleanse the whole world. So we must ask him, plead with him, please clean out our gospel prejudices. And the story of the Lord chipping away at Peter's prejudices and ours in Acts chapter 10 is in three parts, which become the three main points of this message this morning that the Lord wants you to hear today. What do we need to have the Lord reveal to us in order to clean out our gospel prejudices? And there's three things here we need to see and we need to ask the Lord to do. Number one, the Spirit of Christ sees far beneath the skin. Secondly, the blood of Christ cleanses each and every sin. And finally, the Bride of Christ invites any curious sinner in. Just trying to fix this mic before I dive in. Let's see, there we go. Maybe it'll stay. First, the Spirit of Christ sees far beneath the skin. Let's look at verses 1 to 8. Friends, our eyes really do betray us in seeing only what's on the surface. If you were to hear the first verse of chapter 10 of Acts, According to the surface, like if you were a Jewish reader and reading that first verse of Acts chapter 10, you would want to put the book down. First, notice the place where it happens. At Caesarea. Whose name is this town after? Caesar. It would be like at Trumperia or at Bidenaria, right? It would evoke a reaction, And then you hear the name was a man named Cornelius. That's a Latin name. It's got Roman roots. That's not a Hebrew name. Then you hear he's a centurion. He's part of the enemy Roman army. And he's a military officer who's responsible for about 100 soldiers. And he's an Italian. I mean, think mafia mob boss. That's who this guy is. He's probably killed some of your family members, grandparents, great-grandparents. That's who we're talking about here. Everything according to the eyes and according to the skin makes this guy an enemy. Write him off. But the Spirit of Christ doesn't see as we see. Instead, verses 2-4 to show us what's below the skin, what's beneath the surface. Here's a devout man who has a respect for God and has taught his kids to also respect Yahweh. And as a man who's marked with behaviors that look very much like a faithful Jew, he's caring for poor people, and he's praying often. Even at the ninth hour when this vision comes to him, that's 3 p.m. That's a specific time. That's like he showed up at 9.30 at All Saints. It's a specific time dedicated for worship. Cornelius is blowing our categories. The Spirit of Christ sees beneath the skin as this man's prayers and his compassion for the poor has made its way like a memorial so that God can notice it. God notices this man. So one of the things we should be asking in this passage, why doesn't God in Cornelius' vision as he shows up to him and Cornelius is terrified. Why doesn't God just reveal to him right in that moment the love of Jesus? Why doesn't he do that? Because Cornelius is not the problem going on right now. Peter's prejudiced eyes need chipping away to see what lies beneath the skin. So the angel of the Lord asks Cornelius, go get Peter from Joppa. Go get him from the home of an unclean tradesman. Peter's been the one who's been given by Jesus the keys to the kingdom of God. And Peter has seen the Spirit come to the Jewish in Jerusalem. Peter has seen the Spirit come to the Samaritans in Samaria. And now Peter's going to see the Spirit come to the centurion in Caesarea. Peter needs to stand in front of this man. And ask, like Whitney did a few years ago, you fear God? But you are a Roman. And see what God sees beneath. I love, one of the things I love, I love striking up conversations with people who have tattoos, because tattoos are like doorways into seeing beneath the skin. What would cause a person to painfully choose to have their body scarred permanently with an image or a word? And it's often because there is a story that goes on beneath the skin. And Peter, at this point of the story, wouldn't dare to have a conversation with someone who bears the tattoo of Roman let alone let him into his house, but, but God does. God hears the man's prayers and notices the man like he would stop at a gravestone or stop at a roadside historical marker. That's what God does. Friends, part of God's way of cleaning out our gospel prejudices is to see beneath the skin, beneath the flesh, and regard people according to the Spirit, not the flesh. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, he makes an imperative and he says this From now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to the skin. Why? He says, Because because Christ saw us, not according to our outward appearance, but saw within us. And what did Christ see when he looked within us? Spiritually, what did Christ see? Dead people. I see dead people. And what did Christ do in dealing with what he saw? Dead people. He died to bring them back to life. He saw our inner condition so keenly that our death led him to die so we could live. Saints, ask the Spirit of God to see as he sees beneath the skin. Christian, we need help in this because we have become so much like the world in judging by outward appearances and not looking at the heart. I want you to see the behavior of a flamboyant, in-your-face, ultra-liberal, homosexual, and ask the Spirit to show you his or her broken heart. See the behavior of a self-righteous, Fox News following, frozen chosen, elder brother, and ask the Spirit to show you someone who needs the good news of knowing there is no one righteous, not one. Help me see, Spirit, as you see beneath the skin. Secondly, the blood of Christ cleanses each and every sin. Cornelius's messengers are making way to Joppa, these three men. And Peter is making his way up the stairs to the roof at the same time. And it's an interesting place where Peter is, Joppa. You remember Joppa? If you've you've studied the Old Testament, you'll remember Joppa as being the same place where the prophet Jonah was called to get on a boat and deliver a message of judgment and mercy to the Ninevites. That's Joppa. And what did Jonah do? He went in the completely opposite direction. No, 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 not Nineveh. I'm going there to Tarshish. I'm out. Jonah had a prejudice, and he wanted the Ninevites to pay. Peter has a prejudice, and God is wanting him to change. So here's what happens. Peter's hungry. Dinner's not ready. Peter's, it's t- Simon's house is on the beach. So he goes up to like the roof of the beach house. It's kind of a nice place. It's right on the water. And so he heads up there as he's waiting for dinner to be ready. But God chooses to use Peter's hunger as an object lesson. He might be looking out at the beach of Joppa, and maybe Peter's blood sugar, I don't know, sends him into like this trance because it's noontime and it's hot. And as he's in this trance, as he's in this state, he sees like a sail. Or a large tablecloth come down on four corners. And that tablecloth or that sail is filled with every kind of animal. Every single kind of animal and bird. And a voice says, get up and get dinner ready. And Peter is repulsed. Because in that tablecloth is this mixture of unclean and clean animals, all mixed together, therefore making the whole lot of them unclean. Even the clean animals are now unclean because they're all mixed together. And on the surface, it looks as though Peter is honoring God's command in saying, I would never. But the voice of the Lord makes it clear that that's not the problem. The problem is Peter's prejudice. There are certain groups, certain categories of people which in Peter's mind will always remain common, meaning they are not set apart for God. And there are categories of people that will always remain, therefore, unclean. They will not be washed or cleansed by God. But the voice of the Lord using the four corners of this tablecloth shows Peter like four compass points, north, south, east, west. There is a cleansing that Christ's bringing. Not just to you, Peter, not just to your people, but to the whole world. Do not call common, not set apart. What I have made clean, cleansed by the blood of Christ. Three times Peter needed to hear this, as three times he also needed to be restored back to ministry. Peter's a blockhead like we are blockheads. We need to hear things over and over again. Any human being, Peter, made in the image of God from the four corners of the world, this vision is telling him, is able to be made clean by the cleansing blood of Jesus. In Genesis 22, way back at the beginning of God's word, a promise was made to Abraham that was veiled in all kinds of mystery. Abraham was called, maybe you know the story, it was called to sacrifice Isaac, his only son, by cutting Isaac open on an altar. And bleeding. But as he was getting ready to bleed out Isaac, he was stopped by God. And he heard a blessing that not Isaac's blood, but someone else's blood would be involved in this. So I want you to hear this promise that Abraham heard as he was stopped. The Lord says, This by myself I have sworn. Because you have done this, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that's on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring, through your family line, shall all the nations, the Goyen of the earth, be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Peter's missing this. The Jews were a special people, yes, to God. Not just because they were made clean by God, but because they were the family tree of the only one Who could make sinners clean? Jesus. And Jesus' perfect spilled blood, the only Son's blood, would bring forgiveness upon a people. But not just to bless Abraham's people, to bless all of the nations of the earth. There is no sin and there is no sinner outside of the blessing of Jesus' blood, Peter, There's no sinner outside of the blessing of Jesus' blood, All Saints Church. But Peter wasn't quite there yet. He had to take baby steps. And we have to take baby steps. Remove from us, Lord, the belief that we are exceptional people in and of ourselves. Help us to see that we are unclean without Jesus. That we are a common people without the cup of Christ. We are foul without the fountain of Christ's blood. There is no sin which he cannot cover with his sacrifice. So let's eat together this meal. Because like the author of Acts, friends, I, didn't, I haven't said this before as we've been walking through Acts, but Luke, I don't know if you know this, who is Luke? A Agoyan. I bet he couldn't wait to write this part of the story. That he is a Gentile dog who is allowed to eat the crumbs falling from the Jewish table. If you're setting yourself up as holy without Christ, but because of your behavior, because you were raised in the church, then you are a hypocrite. If you are setting the table of your heart that there's no room for the vile, the dirty, the poor, the broken sinner to have a place to eat here then you are what I'll call a gracist. Someone who believes grace is only for those who look or act a certain way. That table spread of animals is a mixed company of black and white, male-female, rich-poor, slave-free, all nations. And as we heard in our fifth anniversary video song last week, as we celebrated five years of All Saints, Come to the table. Come join this motley crew of misfits. (laughs) All of us at the table. Because the bride of Christ invites any curious sinner in. Lastly, verses 17 to 23. Just look at the baby steps that the Lord is taking in preparing Peter out of his prejudice. As he's having a vision As he's having this vision, what's happening at the same time? Luke shows us three unclean Gentiles are making their way into the city. As Peter is scratching his head trying to figure out what's happening, what happens? The unclean unclean Gentiles arrive at the gate. As he's reliving the vision he's seen, the Holy Spirit of God says, they're here. Rise, go down, and accompany them, your translation says, without hesitation." But those two words can also be translated as without distinction. And by God's grace, what does Peter do? Does he run like Jonah to the other side of the house and just hide in the closet? Not a chance. No. Verse 23, what does he do? He invited them in to be his guests. To eat with him. The unclean and the clean together in the same house. Friends, our mission as a church is to welcome to the table sinners and to witness the Lord's body and blood transform them into saints. That's our mission as a church. How are we doing with that mission? Not well. As your pastor who cares for you and loves you, we are becoming ingrown, selfish, and saint centered. Friends, our logo is a table that begins with us being guests at other people's tables. And I think we're doing that, but are we doing that with a sense of mission, with a sense of purpose, or are we just blending in until Jesus comes back again? And not only that guest table that we're going out and being, bringing Christ to all those places, we also have this middle table, a friendship table where we invite people into our homes who are not from our church. How are we doing at welcoming the unclean, if you will, to our tables? Not well. We have made the second week of our month designated in the liturgy and life of our church as a week to welcome sinners to our table, to our homes, because Christ has welcomed you, unclean sinner, to his And I don't don't know that I hear much about that, and I, as a pastor, can do better in encouraging you toward that end, but I'd love to hear more stories of how we're doing that. I also wanted to mention one of the prompts I had this week as I was preparing this message is I had this on my desk for the longest time. It's called The Missional Disciple Pursuing Mercy and Justice at Work. And um, this is all about being a guest at other people's table and how to bring the light of Christ into your workplace or wherever you're called to serve, which is where you spend probably a majority of your time. And so we're going to be walking through this six-week study. And I'm doing it at noon on Mondays, noon to one. Hopefully you have a lunch break. If you don't have a lunch break, maybe you could make it so. But it's six weeks. It's only six weeks. And it's an opportunity for you to be thinking about your workplace and how you bring Christ's presence into your workplace as a missionary wherever you are. If you're interested, let Rebecca know, let me know. We'd love to get you involved in that starting in a couple of weeks. And I would encourage you again, lastly, to seriously and repentantly pray for the Spirit of the Lord to help you see beneath the skin of a neighbor, a coworker, or a family member. And maybe as you see beneath the skin, you might be seeing a dead heart. I would encourage you to preach the gospel to yourself in believing that, as obviously unclean as maybe that person's sin looks to you, your sin is equally vile to God, but that's why He died for all of us. And that's why you are called to die to yourself and live to Christ. I'm praying for stories of verse 23. So he invited them in to be his guests, to come to life in the life of the saints. Come to the table. Come join the sinners who've been redeemed. Jesus Christ did not come to clean one type of person or peoples. He came to cleanse the entire world, which included poor and wretched, you and me. Let's pray. Father in heaven I pray that your spirit would be indeed at work in us that as we prepare to gather around the table of our king that we would pay closer attention to the reality that were to Peter were Peter to have his way none of us would be here because the only people sitting at that table would be Jews. But Lord, you superseded his will. You made a way for Cornelius, for the Goyen, for the rest of us to be Gentile dogs eating the crumbs of a glorious and good table. So motivate us, Lord, to be a people who invite others to our tables. Keep us, Father, from becoming an ingrown church. Keep us from becoming naval gazers and a little tribe who just protects its own and ignores the rest of the world. Help us to take the risk of opening our doors with the hospitality of Jesus Christ. We don't do it alone. So we pray that you would help all of us help one another to make that, maybe that second week of inviting neighbor a partnership. But Father, we pray that you would make it so. And it's our hope as a church, on mission, to see that Lord's table, that Supper of the Lamb. Have more feasters, have more people eating and experiencing the grace of Jesus Christ. Grow that table by your Spirit's work in first, changing our prejudiced hearts. pray this all in Jesus' name.